in Romans. We're continuing. It's uh, called Hope for a, a Culture in Crisis. And over the last months, we've been looking through what Paul has been writing to the church in the city of Rome, a city that's in cultural meltdown. And the commentators all tell us that Roman culture was becoming more and more self-obsessed, more marked by anti-social behavior, failing law and order, uncontrollable violence, disintegrating morality. And the world we live in sadly reflects uh, what was happening in first century Rome. And so this letter, what Paul has to say to us, is really relevant. It has something to say to us today in 21st century Winchester. And throughout this letter, Paul is constantly presenting uh, Jesus Christ as the only hope, the only hope for a culture that's in crisis. And if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. Jesus Christ is enough. Jesus Christ is the answer that each one of us needs. We're going to see this morning that God is not just, he's not offering us a way to muddle through life. Putting our trust in Jesus opens the door for us to live life to the full. Paul puts it, that we will, if we put our trust in Jesus, we can reign in life. And that's what the focus of our talk this morning. And so Paul starts by saying, therefore. The beginning of the passage, he says, therefore. And I just want to just pick up that first word, therefore. Paul is he's, he's looking back to what he's just talked about. But he's also looking forward. It's a link word into what we're about to unpack this morning. He's preparing us for what he's going to say. He's continuing in this passage that we're going to be looking through to emphasize how amazing Jesus Christ is. He wants us to appreciate how so many owe so much to this one man. And we're going to see that in these few verses... We're going to see a highlight in the letter to the Romans. It's a high point. At first reading, the, the meaning of this is going to seem difficult. For some of us, we're going to think, oh, wow, this is a little bit dense. But I want to say, if you stick with it, God is going to speak to you this morning. You see, Paul is unpacking the wonderful benefits of being a Christian. The word Christian uh, literally means Christ-like ones. What Paul is talking about uh, throughout all his letters is he's talking about us being those who are like Jesus. In fact, in some of his letters, he uses the shorthand being in Christ. And this morning, we're going to pick up a little bit of that thread as Paul talks about us being in Christ. But he's also going to talk about us being in Adam. And actually, in some places in the, New, uh, in the New Testament, Paul talks about Jesus as being the last Adam. Now, first Adam, last Adam, confused already? This passage has much to say to us, but there's some things that we need to grasp if we're going to understand what God has to say to us. When I used to work in Gospel Borough Council, my name is Stephen Chick. And uh, the boss came to me one day, some of you will have heard this story already, and he told me he just had an application from Stephen Chick 
for a job is as an administrator uh, in our section. And he said, I can't cope with the confusion of having two people called by the same name. Stephen Jay is going to cause too much confusion, so I'm not even going to interview him. I subsequently found out in later years that this person would have been really good at the job. But the boss couldn't cope with it because two people, same name, too confusing. And so he ignored the, uh, the, the opportunity and we missed, potentially missed a moment. I want you to hear this morning, as we talk about Adam and we talk about Jesus as being the last Adam, I don't want you to miss the moment. I don't want you to switch off and go, this is too confusing. We're not, you're going to miss the benefit if you do that. So the first question I'm going to ask, we're going to look at three questions this morning to help us unpack this passage and we're going to read the passage as we look through it. And the first question is this, how can one person make such a mess? How can one person make such a mess? The question is going to make sense as we unpack the passage. Now, my wife Annie is an amazing cook. I don't think I've ever had a meal which I've, I've not enjoyed. She's an amazing cook, but sometimes the kitchen looks like a war zone after she's been cooking. Sometimes it looks like a war zone. Now, I suspect her view that, by the way, that isn't, that isn't our kitchen. But I suspect her view is slightly different. I think she views herself as a normal cook, and I think she views me as being slightly OCD. I want to say that actually we can, uh, sometimes we can make a mess of life. I had a friend once who uh, went and did some painting for uh, another friend of mine and created the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the guy Steve came home and he walked into his lounge and it was literally the look he gave said it all. How can one person create such a mess you're just supposed to be decorating? You have devastated my lounge. What this person had done, he'd taken, he tried to take the radiator off the wall to paint behind the radiator and somehow he'd managed to break the pipe and there was water everywhere. The wall was unpainted. It was an utter mess. How can one person create such a mess? Well, let's read what Paul says at the beginning of this passage. This is what he says. Therefore... Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. What Paul is saying is that the problem, the mess in this world, entered in through one person. One person created the mess all around us. One man, and he names him Adam. Most of us would agree, as we look at the world around us today, We'd, we would agree that this world is in a mess. Our society is in a mess. We are in a mess morally. We're in a mess economically. We're in a mess politically. And the list goes on and on and on. Paul says that Adam is responsible for the mess 
in this world. And we have made it worse. Those that have followed on from him have made it worse. How did he do it? Well, Paul explains how this one man caused such devastation. And he uses the phrase, Adam's transgression. Now that's a, a word that we don't use much in today's society. It's not a very well-liked word. It means we do something that goes against the rule. We cross over a line. Imagine a sign that says, private property, keep to the path. And the path is straightforward, but we step off the path. That is a transgression. The, the, uh, the, we've been asked, we've been told we've got to stay on the path, but we step off it. We have transgressed. We cross over. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying Adam crossed over, crossed over a line. He went against what God told him to do. You see, Genesis, the first book in the Bible, tells us that God created the world that we live in. He created a beautiful world. It was perfect in every way. And he created the first man, the first human being. He created a, a man, and the, the, the Hebrew for man is Adam. That's where the name comes from. He created Adam, created the first man. And this man was perfect. He was created in the image of God created in the image of God and God placed him in his world, in his creation to oversee and rule and reign over his creation and that's going to be an important phrase. God gave him responsibility for the world that he lived in and he placed him in this garden, the Garden of Eden and Adam uh, looked after it and most uh, scientists today would agree that the human race shares a common ancestor which points to the fact that the Bible story is true. We came from a common ancestor, Adam. God gave him authority over his creation. There was only one proviso. Adam was told you are not to eat of the one tree at the center of the garden. That was God's command. If he said, God said, if you do that, you will die. Adam broke God's command. And at the moment he did that, the moment he took an et of the apple, his wife, tempted by the devil, took the apple off the tree, tasted it and gave it to Adam. And Adam, who had been watching this unfold all the time, God had given him responsibility. He took an et of the apple. And at that moment, he died spiritually. He died to relationship with God. His relationship with God was broken by his transgression the fact that he'd broken what God had told him to do and subsequently he died physically but worse than that Adam's transgression caused an unstoppable chain reaction you see the story I told at the beginning with that uh, friend of mine was decorating he took the radiator off the wall when he did something he wasn't supposed to do something broke and water poured out it was a chain reaction he couldn't stop it water went everywhere ruined the carpet ruined the central heating system far worse than that Adam's sin ruined the world that God had created there are always consequences when we do something we are not allowed to do, not supposed to do. 
And Paul tells us that Adam's transgression, his crossing over, his breaking, crossing over the line, resulted in what the Bible calls sin. Sin, very simply, is rebellion against God, living without reference to God, not living in accordance with how God wants us to live. The man God made in his image disobeyed him. And Adam opened the door and sin literally barged through bringing death into God's world. I want you to imagine it like this. Someone who's working in the laboratory. There are scientists. They're testing and studying virulent diseases. Diseases that can kill hundreds of thousands of people. And as they're testing and doing tests on it, they become really casual with the safety protocols, the, the gloves they're supposed to wear and the masks they're supposed to wear. And they become casual and unbeknownst to them, they pick up one of these diseases and they don't realize it, but it's going to kill them. But worse than that, the disease is transmitted when they go home to their partner and their children and their children's children. When we hear something like that, everything within us say it's not fair, but how those children were innocent. How can that be that's not fair? Innocent people dying. It may not feel fair, but it happens. The principle is around us in the world we live in. People do things that have terrible consequences for sometimes hundreds and sometimes thousands of people. It's the message of the Bible. It reflects what's happening in the world around us. Paul is explaining to us we are all culpable because of Adam's transgression, Adam's sin. G.K. Chesterton, the writer, says that original sin, Adam's original sin, is the only doctrine that's empirically verifiable. It's provable because of what we see happening around us in the world today. Paul talks as though sin is, is a person, not an it. He personifies it. He describes it like a person. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to remind us that behind sin, there is a malevolent force, a person, the devil, who hates God and his creation, hates the people that God created in his image. And the passage we've just read this morning, it, it underlines several things. It underlines it tells us that Adam was a real person. People will tell you today that it's a myth. It's just a story. The Bible says it's real. Adam was a real person. This passage reminds us that the story of God's creation told in Genesis is true. It explains the mess that this world is in. The devil is real. He tempted Adam to sin and Adam fell fell from relationship with God. This story tells us that sin, transgression, living without reference to God is devastating. And the result is death, separation from God, and ultimately one day we will physically, one day we will physically die. Paul says, death spread to all men, death Reigned. We live in a world where death reigns all around us. Decay all around us. Death reigns. 
We're born spiritually dead to God, set apart from a holy God by our transgression, our sin, our living without reference to him. He's not saying, Paul isn't saying that everyone has broken God's law because babies clearly haven't. But he is saying everybody is, is infected at conception by sin. That's what he's saying. And for some of us, we find that really difficult. We find that maybe even offensive. But I want you to this morning just to hold on a second because this passage helps us understand it, what it means what original sin means, but it also explains the wonderful, wonderful mercy and grace of God to each and every one of us. And so as we've looked at the first question, how can one person create such a mess? We're going to look at the second question. How can one person make such a difference? I don't know if you've seen the film Star Wars. Many of you will have seen the film Star Wars, the series of films Star Wars, and it always starts off with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, it comes up on the screen. It's a tale actually of two Skywalkers. Both are born with an extraordinary heritage. The first one, Anakin, starts well before succumbing to the dark side of the Force. His actions open the door to evil and destruction in the galaxy. Later, a second Skywalker comes along. His son, Luke, is born. and Yet this one resists the temptation to follow in the footsteps of the one who went before him. And he stays true to his calling. And as a result, the destruction caused by evil is eventually reversed. It's a picture in the film world. It's a story in the film world which maybe not a very good one, but it highlights a little bit of what Paul is trying to uh, help. Paul wants us to see. Paul is showing just as the result of one man, Adam, resulted in such devastation which has affected us all. There is one man, Jesus Christ, who has dealt with sin, who has dealt with the ensuing mess, and has resolved and broken through the problem for us. Paul explains. Let's read this together. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many? And the gift is not like the one man's sin. Because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigns through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Paul explains... The result of God's gracious gift is so very different from the result of Adam's sin. You see, the nature of what Jesus has done is really different. 
Adam, the one create, the man created by God, deviated, crossed over, transgressed, did what God told him not to do. Jesus, God's son, breaks into this world and he does everything that God asks him to do. Adam was disobedient. Jesus was obedient. And we're told that he was obedient even to death on a cross. And the writer of Hebrews says, as a result of his obedience, he has brought eternal salvation. He has rescued us. We sang it at the beginning. He's our rescuer. He has come in to rescue us completely from the mess that Adam created. The nature of what Jesus has done is different. But the effect of what he has done is also different. You see, Adam's transgression brought us under sin and, and judgment. We stand before a God who is holy and perfect. But we are rebels. We, have, we live without reference to him. And it's not even based on what we do. It's based, we're born into it. We're under judgment. And Jesus has come and, and he has broken through. And what he has done is completely different. By his one act of righteousness, Adam's one transgression resulted in judgment for us all. Jesus, God's son, one act of righteousness. When he died on the cross in our place for our wrongdoing, by one act, he opened the door for righteousness for us all. A right relationship with God, that we might know God as a father, that we might know the God who created us as he always intended. The Bible calls it a legal term, which we've heard in recent week's justification we are now because of what Jesus has done when we put our trust in him we are justified just as if I'd never sinned we stand in a different place we did stand here we didn't do anything to stand here as a result of us standing here we've all done things that have offended God but now in Jesus we stand in a different place we stand in a place where all that Jesus has done for us is ours by the grace of God. The effect of what Jesus has done is different. But the ultimate impact of what Jesus has done is hugely different. You see, in Adam, death reigned. When we were in Adam, death reigns. Death reigns in the world around us. People separated from God. Ultimately will be separated from, from him through eternity if they die without knowing him. That without giving their lives to Christ. The impact of what Jesus has done is different. We stand now in a different place. The grace of God overflows to us, we're told in the passage. We've been reading recently, in recent weeks, in the newspapers and listening to on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, on the media about how rivers have been overflowing their banks. And we've been seeing the flooding and the devastation that's caused. Well, the Bible talks about grace overflowing in a more in a positive way that the river of grace has overflowed its banks and will impact us all and will drench us all and will soak us all and will change all our lives. Those living under Adam are living under what Paul calls the reign of death. Those who put their trust in Jesus live under the reign of life. Listen to what the reign of life is like in Mark chapter 5, 
We read of Jesus, just one incident, one few days in Jesus' life, and he crosses a lake, the Lake uh, Sea of Galilee, and he gets to the other side, and he meets a man who is living in a graveyard. Not only was this guy homeless, but he's struggling with mental health issues. He's self-harming. He's violent. In a moment, Jesus heals him, sets him free, and the man's in his right mind. He receives the grace of God. A little later, Jesus is accosted by a crowd of people and there's a guy who comes up to him, a synagogue ruler called Jairus and his daughter is dying, his 12-year-old little girl is dying and he says, Jesus, please, if you come and lay your hands on her, she'll live. And Jesus says he'll go and he goes to follow this man to his house and as he's following the crowd presses round and a lady in the crowd reaches through, a lady who's been ostracized and people won't have anything to do with because she's got an issue of blood she's unclean and secretly she sneaks through and grabs the hem of his garment thinking if I just grab hold of the hem of his garment I'll be healed Jesus knows something's happened as she grabs his garment and power has left him and he stops and he says who touched me and this woman trembling comes forward and he he says your faith is here you're you're free This woman who's been ostracized, who's been shut away from society because she's unclean, now is accepted. And then people come and say, don't bother going to the Jairus' house because the little girl's dead. And Jesus won't have anything to do with it. He says, she's not dead. And he goes to the house and he prays to the little girl. He says, little girl, get up. And this little girl comes back to life. The reign of life. Jesus brings life. He sets captives free. Those who are locked away. Those who've spent all their lives living under the, uh, like a graveyard. Their life is like a graveyard. Jesus sets them free in a moment. Jesus changes lives. Those who are ostracized, shut outside. Don't feel that anybody wants them. Society's written them off. Jesus accepts them. Life breaks in when they come to Jesus. Jesus changes everything. How can one person make such a difference? Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it in abundance. Here's the third question. How can one person by one act transform every person's life? That's exactly what's happened with Adam. One person's actions has affected a whole world. And what Paul says is this. Let's read this together as we finish. So then, as though one trespass, through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So also, through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trust, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just as we couldn't do anything to be included, we didn't do anything to be included in Adam, we were just born into it. We've lived in that place. Just so that is true, 
We were bought. We don't need to do anything to receive the righteousness that Christ offers. All we need to do is accept what he did for us on the cross by faith. It's the grace of God, the mercy of God to us. It's the whole thrust of Paul's argument. Jesus, through one righteous act on the cross, it results in life for all. It must do. Just as one sinful act resulted in death for all, Jesus' one righteous act on the cross will result in life for all if you put your trust in Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you've never done that, you can be like that lady in the crowd. Maybe you feel ostracized, shut out. Just one, reach out to him today. Know that he has grace for you. He has grace for you. Grace is a gift. It must be received to be appropriated. No one is ever more than a prayer away. God hears every genuine cry for help, whether it be an unwanted child, those desperate to be loved, those in distress, those being oppressed, those who are poor, perhaps needy, those in pain, those desperate for mercy. And maybe you feel, I'm not good enough. I've been too bad. What Paul says is, where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Other versions say where sin abounds, where sin reigns here in Christ, grace reigns even more. And it can be yours. We're all in a mess because of the one man's sin. All of us are without hope and without God in this world. But Jesus' work is far more effective than Adam's sin. And so we should expect today more and more people to encounter the grace of God. We should be encouraged that we have good news that this world desperately needs to hear. This gospel is amazing. One man has made it possible for us all to draw near to God if we put our trust in him. We can experience lives filled with the love of God. The love that God has lavished on us. Do you know that? Do you know that God has lavished love on you? His love on you? You can know the peace of God. Peace that will guard your heart and mind in a world full of mental health issues. One in four people statistically suffers from mental health issues today in the world we live in. One in four people. 50% of that is untreated. Do you want to know peace that guards your heart and mind? You can know that in Jesus Christ. This gospel is amazing. There is... We can know the joy of God in a world that's full of sadness. You can be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. doesn't mean your circumstances change, but you can know the joy of God in the midst of this world when you step into the life that Jesus offers. What does it look like to reign in life? Well, Jesus is victorious in this world. In him, we're on the winning side. Reigning in life means living a life like Jesus. Anytime, any place, anywhere, we can live and know and overflow with the grace of God. 
And Jesus encourages us to be a people who freely receive and freely give. Reigning in life as a church means caring for the poor and the broken. Showing God's relentless grace, relentless mercy. Looking out for those, caring for those with mental health issues. It's a massive issue in today's world. Reigning in life means standing up for those who don't have a voice for themselves, including the unborn. We live in a society today which discards so easily. Reigning in life means caring for those in poverty, those struggling in today's world. Those, I don't know if you know this, but they reckon about a quarter of a million people will, elderly people will go through a week, a typical week, without actually speaking to anyone. We are people, we are the church of God. We are the people of God who reign in life. And where we go, we bring the life of God and the, the grace of God should overflow through us, should spill out of this building, out into the streets of Winchester, out into the communities that we live in, out into the places where you work. And it should bring mercy and grace to those who desperately need it, those who are dying without knowing the grace of God. We're to be people who reign in life Paul says this how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ I'm ask you to stand with me let me read that again how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace Have you received an overflow of grace? Maybe this morning you need to come again and receive the grace of God. God's love for you. God's lavish love for you. How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness, maybe this morning you know you've had a tough week. Well, there's righteousness. You can receive Christ's righteousness again today. God, forgive me for all I've done wrong. Forgive me for that attitude. Receive grace. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. You can do that right now. Jesus, come into my life. I believe you died for me. How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the reign of gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? the band to come and join us on stage Jonathan's going to come and lead us through a time of response but we want to be those who reign in life know the grace of God in